Isaiah 39, these are God's words. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah was pleased with them and showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his domain that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasuries that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of Yahweh of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says Yahweh, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of Yahweh, which you have spoken, is good. For he said, At least there will be peace and truth in my days. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Pride is ever the enemy of faith. The more confident we are in ourselves, or the more secure we feel in what we have, or what we are able to do, the less we depend upon the Lord. But there is a unique species of pride that is even more subtle, more sneaky, more difficult to detect, and that is spiritual pride. And one of the reasons I think many misunderstand, or at least do not fully understand, Isaiah 39, is that they do not realize that what is here uh, is not so much personal pride as it is spiritual pride. Now, the, the Holy Spirit, by Isaiah, gives us uh, enough indication uh, that uh, this is not merely uh, Hezekiah kind of stupidly um, being full of himself uh, to show all uh, that he has and all that he is and all that he can offer. I think the Spirit gives us indication in the text that he actually thinks he is showing Merodach Baladan, uh, king of Babylon, uh, all that Yahweh has to, quote-unquote, offer. Why do we say that? Well, one reason we say that is that the what instigated this in verse 1 uh, was not some sort of military victory or supposition of uh, powerfulness on the part of Israel, but when he heard that Hezekiah had been sick and recovered, he sent to Hezekiah. So the implication is that Merodach Baladan believes something supernatural has taken place in Jerusalem and with Jerusalem's king. And you remember, according to uh, the way that men thought and uh, in those times, and men still do, uh, although we don't realize it so much about ourselves, uh, that uh, different uh, different powers ruled in different places, 
and so if uh, Meredith Baladan could add to the kings of Babylon, if he could add the, an alliance with a king so powerful that he could heal from a mortal disease, like the god who had just healed Hezekiah, that that would really uh, soup up his uh, spiritual, supernatural uh, support as he was about to overthrow Syria. The other reason, in addition to that which instigated these letters and present to Hezekiah, the other indicator in the text that this is really spiritual pride, and Hezekiah was not saying, look at all I have and all that I am, but he's saying, look at all that Yahweh can do for you, uh, is when Isaiah the prophet comes and asks him the pointed questions, Hezekiah is not embarrassed at all. If he had been promoting himself and how great he is, and Isaiah the prophet shows up and asks him questions about it, surely Hezekiah, at least before Isaiah the man of God, after all that has happened so far, would have been ashamed to say what he had done. But what Hezekiah thought he had done was he had just finished giving envoys from Babylon an evangelistic tour of the palace and temple and treasuries. How wonderful that Babylon, which think themselves so great and think of their gods, Bel and Nebo and others, being so powerful, have come to the conclusion, not like Sennacherib did, that Nisroch, his god, was greater than all the gods, uh, especially the god of Jerusalem. But how wonderful that the king of Babylon had concluded he needs Yahweh. Surely, the, how impressive Hezekiah has become to Babylon in this way is an opportunity for him to uh, to show the greatness of Yahweh and forge this alliance with Babylon in which Yahweh is shown uh, as equal to any other god and uh, Babylon needy of him. That's almost certainly, based on what verse 1 says about the instigation and based on Hezekiah unashamedly telling Isaiah that he thought, and spiritual pride, not necessarily even thinking that it has come from us, but just thinking that we are something spiritually and that men who see what God has made us really should be impressed with God on account of how well God has done with us. Look at how strong we have become. You know, perhaps uh, Hezekiah thought Babylon would be impressed with all those things. Uh, of course, Babylon had sent him a gift or a bribe, and uh, we can uh, infer the content of the letters with this gift and uh, with what Hezekiah showed them, that Babylon wanted an alliance now with with Judah and uh, and Jerusalem. But it is so sneaky. Spiritual pride is so sneaky. And we don't even realize it's wrong. Let us not be impressed. Or let us not be impressed with ourselves if others are impressed with us. Let us certainly not think that we have come into such a condition that we would go around and when people say, oh, your God must be so great, I wonder what he can do for me. And we say, oh, yes, let me tell you 
uh, how much he can do for you. Now, when, uh, when someone wants to add the Lord to all of the other things that they're trusting in, all of the other things that they're living for, all the other things you desire, you say, that's not the way the one true living God works. You actually have to abandon all your other hope, all your other purpose, all your other pleasure, to have him alone as your hope, to have him alone as your purpose, to have him alone as your great pleasure. And any other sub-purpose is, is according to what he wills and what he says. And any other pleasure is not just because he made it and he uh, obtains it and uh, enables you to have it, provides it for you in his providence. It is a pleasure only if it is, if you are enjoying him in it. And if you only if you're enjoying it according to his word. And so there is, there is a philosophy of evangelism here and what Hezekiah does. That even churches today, even in our own personal lives today, we are susceptible to. And especially if we have spiritual pride over what the Lord has done for us. And so only if we remember that we are nothing and that whoever the other men are that are impressed with us or that we certainly would like to be valued by or, or our flesh would like to be in alliance with, that they are nothing, but only the Lord is everything. Only then may we be prepared to evangelize according to the philosophy of evangelism of the Bible. And so may God maintain for us gratitude for all that he has given us and done for us, but a humility, a humility that says even these things and even we are not impressive except for the fact that we belong to him. He alone is impressive so that we will not make the evangelistic mistakes that were made often in how the gospel was presented to me growing up and to others whom I love dearly uh, who came to think of the Lord being offered to them as the one who could get for them the kind of life that they wanted uh, and who could be depended upon along with our intelligence and our finances and uh, those things and uh, who was a means to get you whether it was the protection that you want uh, from trouble or the provision that you want for your own pleasure. And God in his mercy brought me to an end of myself at some point in my life and saved me anyway. But someone very, very dear to me is not trusting in the Lord Jesus as he's presented in the scripture is his own fault. I don't mean to say that it isn't. But certainly there is some culpability in those who evangelized him the way Hezekiah evangelized, quote-unquote, these Babylonian uh, envoys. And yet God is so merciful. Now he's merciful, and Hezekiah recognizes that in verse 8, uh, although many of us reading it in our flesh think that Hezekiah is uh, being callous uh, towards uh, everything and everyone and just being very worldly-minded, saying, well, I get 15 years of enjoyment. But the word that Isaiah spoke has taken its effect in him. Uh, and notice uh, Hezekiah identifies the word itself particularly as good. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of Yahweh which you, 
have spoken is good, for he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Uh, And uh, just on its face, that's a great mercy. When Hezekiah realizes what he has actually done, after Isaiah confronts him, surely he knows that he ought to have been destroyed. But even when he says, at least there will be peace in my days, the Lord had promised him 15 years of peace. Back in chapter 38 and verse 5, the 15 years, and verse 6, defense from uh, the king of Assyria, the Lord had promised Hezekiah 15 years of peace, and Hezekiah, in his spiritual pride, had signed up to go to war, to be Babylon's ally in a war against Assyria. And so here, Yahweh's goodness is not just in mercy by delaying what Hezekiah and what Judah deserved. Yahweh's mercy is actually in giving Hezekiah that good that he had originally promised, which is opposite that ill, that misery that Hezekiah had tried to sign up for to become an ally of the king of Babylon. And so there will be peace and there will be truth. And you probably know by now the more fundamental meaning of the word that's translated truth in our Hebrew Bible is faithfulness. Hezekiah had been unfaithful even after the catastrophe with Ahaz, trusting in Tiglath-Pileser and Assyria because of the threat of Syria and Ephraim. Even after God brought Hezekiah to an end of himself, so that there was no hope in Egypt, just as uh, the Rabshakeh had had repeated several times, there was no hope in anyone or anything. And yet uh, the Lord alone by himself had executed 185,000 Assyrians. Even after all of that, uh, Hezekiah was going to trust in Yahweh plus rather than Yahweh alone. Uh, and, uh, and Hezekiah was unfaithful, untrue to God, but the Lord would continue to be faithful and true to him, faithful and true to his word. Uh, and so uh, even the way he says the last sentence indicates a uh, confession of sin and repentance and marveling at God's mercy. Uh, but one more clue that that's the uh, that's the connotation, that's the tone of verses 7 and 8, is uh, in the last part uh, of verse 7, in the palace of the king of Babylon. Uh, for that, in fact, is a note of great mercy, and it takes a while before that happens, even when the exile comes. It takes a while, but that's the note upon which Second Kings ends. The very last four verses of Second Kings is the king of Babylon releasing Jehoiachin from prison, and not just releasing him from prison, but bringing him into the palace. And he gets seated at the king's table as uh, as one of his chief men, his, uh, his eunuchs, his high officials. In Babylon, the eunuchs were high officials, and also later in Persia. And not only that, but if you remember at the end of Second Kings, he elevates Jehoiachin above all the other kings who sat as high officials at the king of Babylon's table. And if we remember back to the end of Second Kings, Jehoiachin wasn't by himself. In Second Kings 24, verse 15, 
He had wives and children. He had a big household uh, who had been carried off to Babylon with him. And his being seated at the table and giving king's table in the king's palace and and being given a kingly portion and elevated above uh, all of the other kings, this was a fulfillment of your sons whom you will beget. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So it's not just that God is going to continue to be faithful and give peace in the 15 years to which Hezekiah refers in verse 8. It's also that God has made a promise of amazing mercy. You, you read Second Kings and you come to the end. After all of the unfaithfulness and treachery of God's people against their God, and that's how Second Kings ends and you're not sure what to do with it. Well, here's what you do with it. Behold, how great is the mercy of God, even to his faithful, sinning, failing people. And how merciful that is to us. Because I hope none of us can read a chapter in which spiritual pride is the great sin that is condemned and think that somehow this isn't about us. But it isn't only about us, it's especially about God, isn't it? How marvelous that he is merciful even to such failing people as we are. And that's the goodness that Hezekiah is responding to here. And so let us take away <coughs> to marvel at God's power and keep that alone in the salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ who is Yahweh alone to the glory of God alone. Because that's that's the place where spiritual humility and spiritual pride are distinguished, isn't it? In that word alone, in each of those things, that we might ever be lowly before him and let us be amazed not only at his power, but also his mercy so that when we stumble and fall, we know that God has a track record, a history of being more merciful to us in time than we ought to expect. And not only is he greatly merciful to us in the providence and time, and of course even the chastenings are mercy, but everything is mercy in eternity. There is no chastening at all. The Lord Jesus has taken it all upon himself, praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you'd protect us from spiritual pride, that your spirit would protect us from falling for when others are impressed with us and even impressed with things you have done in us or for us, lest we diminish you. Lord, help us to evangelize by presenting you as the only living and true God, uh, all of our power, all of our purpose, all of our pleasure, and calling others to be reconciled to you uh, through abandoning of anything apart from you, entire submission to you. Lord, help us ourselves not to see you as a means to our ends, and certainly not to present you that way to others. Thank you for reminding us of the greatness of your mercy, that even when you chasten us, you do so with so much gentleness. And we thank you, Lord, for that. We pray that uh, your Spirit would encourage our hearts with this knowledge of you, that we would live in thankfulness and awareness 
of your mercies that are continual and new, uh, and sometimes so great even uh, as to be bewildering. We pray that you would be glorified by the work that you continue to do in each of our minds and each of our hearts through this portion of your word. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.